Hello and welcome to the Football Digest Daily. Plenty on the plate to talk about today. And we are joined by Ned Keaton, who is one of our sports video producers, also a keen Tottenham fan, and also Freddie Keeley, who covers Liverpool. So the place to start is probably with you, Ned. Tottenham last night lost 1-0 away from home in Portugal. Didn't even have a shot on target. How, how do you digest? I suppose it's probably the way to use it on the football digest, but how do you digest that? It was bad, wasn't it? Um, you know, this is for all the good work that I think that Nuno had done in um, beating Man City at the weekend, and for all the good kind of um, publicity, probably isn't the right word, but the kind of good favour that 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 victory had brought him, coupled with the fact that he beat Arsenal, in a, albeit pre-season friendly the week before. I think that's kind of a lot of that's gone a little bit now. You know, kind of I don't feel as I just feel disappointed. I feel let down almost like kind of to, to deliver that kind of performance and, and kind of not treat that competition with the respect that look, I understand that the, the fixture schedules are packed, but we're at the start of the season. There's, there's ways and means to make sure a little bit later on in the season, a little bit further down the line um, to, to try and kind of rotate the squad if you need to, but to do it after only one game, I'm just not entirely sure that was the right approach. Um, Yes, I understand that kind of no one else in the Premier League has played this midweek. We were the only side to do that. So maybe you want to try and keep a few players fresh for the weekend. But yeah, um, the youngsters, you can't really blame them too much. It's always a difficult circumstance when you're putting uh, away from home. Um, no no Spurs fans in the ground as well. So no kind of backing at all. It was all, you know, a hostile atmosphere. Um so you can't really blame the youngsters too much. You do look at kind of the senior players, um, you know, Matt Doherty, Harry Winks, again, had a had a poor game, never really seems to kind of, um, he's an interesting case because he never really seems to take the chance when he gets it. Like there was so much, I remember like when he made his England debut and everyone, what was it, against Lithuania um, and everyone was saying about how he was like this maestro and he makes England tick and he's the metronome that this squad needs. Um, and probably since that moment, of course, injuries haven't helped, but since that moment, he's been on a, a, a downward trajectory and his career is, is looks like it's petering out. Um, you know, even though that he's a, an academy player and normally you get behind him, I don't think there's too many Tottenham fans that would be upset to see him leave uh, before the transfer window shuts. Um, so he was he was the one that gave the ball away for the goal. Um, Lachelso, it blows hot and cold. He blew cold again last night. Um, when you've got a young and experienced attack as well, like kind of you know Brian Hill first start for the club. Um, Dane Scarlett as well. He's going to be a good player, but he needs time to develop. To, to kind of put the attacking impetus on them away from home, I think is a bit unfair. Um, but again, like I said, you know, you can't really kind of hold the, the youngsters to account too much. We needed the senior players to step up last night. They didn't. Fred, do you think, and this is a very cynical point of view, so I'm going at the most cynical angle here, but what Spurs almost purposely sabotaged themselves so they were in this competition. And the reason why I asked that is yesterday on the podcast, a lot of our um, bigger main journalists were kind of poking fun at this competition saying essentially it's a bit of a joke could Spurs just be thinking you know what we don't care we don't want to win it we'll just get ourselves knocked out in the, the same sense that teams in the lower leagues don't like the Checker Trade Trophy or whatever it's called now do you think there's it, a little bit of that about this? No absolutely not I mean I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about Tottenham's weight for a trophy you can't go spurning chances like this I mean you you've got to finish what's well, seventh in the Premier League to get in here and there's you know, they fought tooth and nail to beat Arsenal to the final European spot last season. I know it's, I know it might not seem like much, but qualifying for Europe in any capacity is always a big deal. And uh, the team put out, as Ned said, there were some senior players there 
players that should have got the job done, really. Um, when you think about a kind of mid-table Primera Liga team, they probably should have got the job done. They've left themselves with an uphill, an uphill battle in the second leg. Um, but I certainly don't think Nuno is the type of manager to go out there to, to sabotage his own um, his own team. And um, I, I certainly think you've got to give the inaugural Europa Conference League a chance, um, even if it it doesn't sound like much. But uh, you know, you got you got one playoff game, and then you're into the tournament proper. You know, it might be a big success. Like I mean, England enjoyed their run in the uh, in the Nations League, didn't they? And um, no, it's obviously the it's obviously a minor trophy, but it's still it's still a trophy. Um and um I certainly don't think Nuno is out to do that, no. And Ned with so much kind of uncertainty around Spurs at the minute, certainly because Harry Kane, we don't know what's gonna happen with that. And if he goes, who replaces him? What is the actual expectation at Spurs this season? Do you think they're looking at the top four this year and saying we can get in there and get ahead of Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, or do you think they're realistic and thinking we're probably gonna be the best fifth I think yeah when you list it like that and you kind of list those those teams and yes we did beat Man City last weekend but they're, they're going to come back stronger they're going to finish above us there, there is no question about that and then the other three teams they've all played so well last weekend as well um, you know even I think the most optimistic Spurs fan might struggle to put forward a good case for us finishing in the top four so then it does come down to to winning something um, and this competition um, you look at the teams that are in it and you know this this competition was generated to or created sorry to give to try and help share the wealth around a bit more and give teams from countries that don't necessarily get far in the Champions League and the Europa League an opportunity to get far in a competition to kind of you know so that maybe we have teams from different countries winning it so therefore the the quality of the teams isn't as good as it is in the Europa League and in the Champions League so this is a good way you know, you could call it a cheat way for Tottenham to go and win a trophy because they are one of the best teams in this competition. I think they were favourites before last night to win the competition along with uh, Jose Mourinho's Roma. And again, you wouldn't bet against them being in the final because of the quality of the teams in it and because Jose's a master in Europe. Didn't do it at Spurs, sadly, last year, but we won't touch on that too much. Um, so with respect to that, this is a competition that we should be looking at and winning. Like, It's not like the Europa League. The, the sad thing is, is that we win this, we end up in the Europa League next year. Um, it's not like if we won the Europa League, we'd end up in the Champions League, which would be probably our best way of getting into it, I think. And it probably was last year as well. But again, we managed to blow that. I said I wouldn't touch on it too much and look at me already going back to it. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, the, the expectations this year um, probably should be finishing higher than some, getting back in the Europa League. I don't think we've got enough in that squad at the minute. Um, and I think we're a team in transition. So I think it would be hugely optimistic um, to say that we're going to finish in the top four. It's not going to happen, I don't think. But to win a cup competition has to be it. We've not won one since 2008. We've got a fantastic chance, again, looking at the teams that are in the Europa Conference League, if we took it seriously, to go a long way, possibly end up in the final. Um, and we've probably actually got a better chance in this competition than maybe winning the FA Cup and winning the League Cup because Man City take the League Cup so seriously. Um, they're almost like Jose and, and Chelsea in his first spell, you know, when they kind of would put out such a strong team round after round. And the FA Cup as well, everyone takes that a lot more seriously now than they used to. So if we're talking about winning the competition, this is probably our best chance of doing it. And we're still not taking it seriously. 
<laughs> this weekend, the Nuno derby, I suppose is what it is. Wolves, um, Fred, do you think that that's a, an important game for both teams? Because Spurs, if they win that game, then suddenly they've got six points from two tricky looking fixtures, Man City at home and Wolves away. But for Wolves, lose that game that's two straight defeats to start the season, and maybe they're thinking this new era might not be quite as... Um, well, a blue skies, maybe a bit cloudier for Wolves if they lose this weekend. But how, how do you see that one playing? And do you think it actually is quite a big game in telling us what these two teams are going to be about this season? Absolutely. I think it's going to be pretty intriguing and very different to uh, last weekend's game where, I mean, that really played into Nuno's strengths. I think he's so good at setting up teams on the counter-attack. It reminded me of um, when Wolves uh, beat City 2-0, I think a few seasons ago when... Uh, Kind of Adam Atraro absolutely tore through them. And then when you've got a player like Song and Min on the break, um, just, you know, you've always got a chance in games. And, uh, but with uh, Bruno Lager, it's going to be, it's going to be a different approach, but then he's more, he's more attacking than Nuno was as Wolves boss. So that might, might also play into Spurs' strengths. But um, I think, I mean, one I'm actually quite looking forward to as well is seeing them play Watford the following weekend. We're going to really see basically over the next week this Spurs team really put through its paces can they overturn the deficit next Thursday and can they get a couple of positive results against teams who you know you'd, you'd like to think they could be beating um, and as you say if, if they do then um, the outlook's looking much more much more positive um, you're only you know you're only one game away of football from a very good mood a very bad mood it's always the way um, so I think um, I think it's definitely it's going to have a big it's going to have a big uh emotional aspect for Nuno as well after four seasons there um, so it's going to be his return to to Molyneux which is going to be interesting in itself um, and I think they've definitely got it in them to maybe exploit a Wolves team who are very much um, very much learning their way around um, a new system much more much more of a four at the back and um, much more of an attacking impetus so I think that it could go one or two ways Spurs could either flourish on that and hit them on the counter attack again or it could um could spell a bit of <laughs> could spell a bit of disaster for a Spurs backline which hasn't always convinced either. Um it's gonna be up to them to the likes of Davinson Sanchez I thought was very impressive um despite not always been his biggest fan. Um but uh, he was really good against City. So it's whether they can kind of keep up that defensive solidity, I think. Well, apologies there for the the dog getting his opinion in there. He obviously disagree with you for, there, Fred. He obviously very, very kind of totally different opinion on that game. Uh, we'll jump into the rest of the Premier League, though, and I suppose the logical place to start would be Liverpool against Burnley. Burnley, of course, ended Liverpool's unbeaten home run last season. Fred, how do you see that one going? And do you think it's, a, it's an interesting test? I think last weekend, while Liverpool did beat Norwich very comfortably, Norwich, for me, are probably the weakest team in the Premier League. Um, certainly they've been yo-yo between the two levels they're probably one of them teams that needs a league between the Premier League and the Championship um, what do you see happening this weekend is this a chance for Liverpool to really put their stamp down and put a few goals past Burnley and really build some confidence and try and get that momentum that they had pre-Covid Absolutely I mean we we never uh, we always struggle um, against Burnley to be honest and putting goals past them is never easy um, especially when they uh when they come calling away from home, they can be really hard to break down. Um, yeah, still haunted by Divock Origi. I think he hit the bar when he was through on goal in that fixture in um, earlier this year, which uh, led to led to the unbeaten run at home being being ended. Um, 
but I think definitely we look a, a much different team now. Um, and yeah, with, with, you know, the likes of Virgil van Dijk back, we look, we look solid against Norwich, not, not impenetrable. Alisson had to make a couple of good saves, um, which is, you know, slightly worrying because Burnley do have the attacking players that can actually, that can finish a chance. Um, and, uh, you know, you never know what it's going to be like when you, when you fall behind for the first time in a season. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. You want to see as a Liverpool fan, you want to see them score a few goals, um, and not to be, not to be that kind of cagey match. Um, and the fans back at Anfield, uh, is going to be, you know, it'll be, it'll be brilliant for all the players, just like it was for all the teams that played at home last weekend. And we saw kind of home bounce in a lot of cases, um, with more teams winning at home than was the norm last season. Uh, so absolutely it's where you want Liverpool to lay down a marker that's you know you, you get back-to-back wins and then City City haven't managed that thanks to their opening day and likes of Chelsea have got you know <laughs> people laugh but it's always a tough fixture in, um, against Arsenal and London derby uh, so yeah absolutely you want to be like continuing 100% record for as long as possible and Ned, from kind of an outsider's perspective, obviously I know you watch the Liverpool games, and you know, but you're not necessarily a Liverpool fan, obviously Spurs supporter. From the outside looking in, do you think this Liverpool team is anywhere near where they were, you know, a couple of years ago when they won the Champions League and followed it with that amazing season and won the Premier League, or do you think they're still not quite at that level that that sort of special connection that club had for about two years to me felt like it's diminished a little bit? Do you think they can get it back? I think the key thing that was part of that Liverpool team was momentum and they had such momentum because you look at that kind of spell that they went through and they got through to the Champions League final in 2018, built on that year after won the Champions League in 2019, then won the Premier League and all that momentum was washed away with all the injuries that they had last year and, and obviously that led to all their struggles. So they're still obviously trying to rebuild, I think, even though it is the same team, essentially, they haven't really sold any of the key players that have been a part of it. So you look at the core of that squad and it hasn't, really changed that much and obviously they've got rid of Wijnaldum they've got in Thiago Jota might be starting ahead of Firmino that kind of thing but by and large it is still the kind of the main squad that kind of got them to that final in 2018 to that final in 2019 and, and to win the title in 2020 so you kind of in that respect it should be the same Liverpool team but of course they're a little bit older now they're kind of edging the wrong side of the age in football they're not getting any younger um, so that rock and roll kind of brand of football might be a little bit more difficult because the energy isn't in the legs as much as it may have been a couple of years ago when they were a little bit younger. Um, that said, I still think they're going to feature quite heavily in the title race um, if they can avoid injuries. But even if they do get injuries, they've got a bit more depth in the squad this year. You know, they're not going to have to play Fabinho and Nat Phillips at centre-half or Rhys Williams isn't going to get a run out every week or whatever. You know, they 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 realised uh, there may be this slight error in their ways in January where perhaps they should have gone out and bought Canate then had they decided to kind of be a li- little bit less frugal um, with with money and whatnot. Um, so they have got four centre-halves. The only issue is, is that obviously three of them are quite injury, well, I say injury-prone. Van Dijk isn't necessarily injury-prone, just had a, a bad one last season. But Joel Matip and, and Joe Gomez, you, you rarely go a season without them spending a couple of months on the sidelines. Um so injuries are still going to play a, a big role in Liverpool's season. Uh, it's just whether or not they can avoid them. Uh, and if and if they can, then as the season rolls on, and like I mentioned at the start about momentum, as, as the season kind of builds and builds and rolls on, rolls on, if they can keep picking up wins, keep staying undefeated, then of course, then that momentum builds and they'll, they'll be back to where they were. 
And Fred, one thing I've always found with Jurgen Klopp is, is he's a he's wears his heart on his sleeve, very passionate. Last year, though, it felt that you know he didn't seem to have the same swagger he had the the, the season before. Have you noticed with Jurgen Klopp this year whether or not he seems more like the Jurgen Klopp of old, or do you still think he's got that the tendency to let things get under his skin? Because he always feels like to me he's a manager you can really rile up. You can, you know, you can get under his skin. Do you think that this season? Maybe he's learned from you know previous experiences where maybe he's came across not necessarily in the best light. Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think we'll still see you know say if things go the wrong way the wrong way on Saturday and uh, and Burnley you know scrap their way to a one 0 win. I'm sure we'll see some some fiery stuff from Klopp, especially if there's a, a contentious VAR decision or two. Um, it's, it's been all smiles this summer, probably because we. We ended the season like fairly well, and and to finish third, given everything the squad went through, was quite impressive. I think he, of all managers, struggled with having no fans in the stadium because I'm not you know, well. I think he, he well, obviously thrives off it. Lots of managers do, but I think he he's kind of almost in it for the fans. He often talks about that, and um, so we saw certain players struggle um, in their absence as well, and you know mix that in with some some testing circumstances that you know that all the world was going through and some tragedies in the squad and then there was some uh, some real challenges that the squad had to overcome and I think Klopp felt them very um you know that really hit home for him. Um but yeah it's been it's been all smiles this summer. You know, he's had his um I think he must have had laser eye surgery or something because he's ever since he emerged in uh for our training camp in Austria there's been no sign of his his classic pretty iconic glasses. So um it's been all smiles from him and obviously had a lot to smile about from that first game of the season. Um, so, no, to answer your question, I don't think he's um, he's kind of revised his managerial approach or like how he's how he's dealing with the press. I just think he's always he's always very happy um, until until that defeat. And that's when uh, rival fans can get a bit annoyed at some of the things he says. But no, I very much still wears his heart on his sleeve, I think. Okay, we'll jump now to Arsenal against Chelsea, but we seem to talk about Arsenal all the time on this podcast. It seems to be the common theme, but they're, they're constantly in the headlines. Mikel Arteta is under pressure, but they are spending money. This morning, we just saw Odegaard has joined them. He was on loan there second half of last season. I think it's £30 million is the fee from Real Madrid. Ned, I know you're a Spurs fan, but I want to have an unbiased opinion here. <laughs> What's your view on the Arsenal transfer business? Aaron Ramsey as well, expected to sign for a pre-eye-watering 24 million, rising to 30 million as well. So what's your view on A, how Mikel Arteta shaking this team up? B, you know, these two new signings in particular? As a, as a Spurs fan, you'd expect me to find um, it quite funny, Arsenal splashing the money in this way on average players. But actually I find it quite sad and tragic um, because they're such a big club that they should be, you know, it's just weird. I, I just don't get it. Like they're, they're kind of, the whole transfer policy is muddled and bizarre and weird and strange. And they don't seem to sign the players that they actually need. Erdegaard, I don't think you find a single Arsenal fan that said that he actually did anything good. Like he had one good game against West Ham on that loan spell last year. That was it. I don't remember him doing much else. Um, they've given Smith-Rowe the number 10 shirt. They clearly see Smith-Rowe as the playmaker of the future. And yet they've gone out and spent 30 million on the Norwegian Smith-Rowe. I don't get that. Um, 
you know, there, there's other places in that squad that need strengthening, i.e. at the back defensively. You know, they're, they're looking at selling Hector Bellerin. So their right-back options are currently Cedric Suarez and Callum Chambers. Not being funny, that's not good enough for a team like Arsenal. Um, goalkeeper as well. They're spending 30 million, up to 30 million on a man who has been relegated from the Premier League in each of the last two seasons. As a Spurs fan, I'd love for him to make it three in a row. But Arsenal, they're in a mess. They are, quite frankly, in a mess. Um, and look at me, I'm getting angry and I'm a Spurs fan and I'm getting angry on behalf of Arsenal fans. I shouldn't be like this. If I'm an Arsenal fan, I'm fuming. I'm livid with the way that the club has gone. There seems to be this acceptance of mediocrity within the club now. And that's highlighted by their transfer business. Um, it is poor um, and and um, the, the one thing that sums it up I think it was confirmed this week we'd heard it for a couple of weeks but Granit Xhaka signing a new deal after he almost moved to Roma like this is he's had a good year race and he had a good end to last season but this is a player that we've been speaking about for the last kind of two years 18 months ever since he, he kind of threw the armband off and threw the shirt to the crowd that his Arsenal days were numbered and now it seems that his redemption is complete and, and he's got a new deal. And that just sums up that Arsenal are a club in a complete mess at the minute in terms of their direction, their strategy and where they want to go. I could be wrong. They might end up going on and, and winning every single trophy, the domestic treble this season, because obviously that's all they can manage because they missed out on Europe last year. Um, but I don't see it. Um, and yeah, it, it's just, it, it's sad to see because they are a big name. Um, you know, it's just, like I said, as a Spurs fan, I should be happy to see it, but it is, you know, it's almost like watching Barcelona as well in the way that they've kind of capitulated and had their demise. It, when you're a fan of football, it is sad to see the big names go this way. Ned, Ned, I've got to butt in about Odegaard there. I mean, I know he's, um, I, I was also a bit critical because he was kind of bigged up as Arsenal's saver the second half of last season. But I think um, the general mood about that signing is that He's still 22 and was, you know, was once tipped to be the best player in Europe, you know, and um, definitely time there. And I think the general feeling is it's a fair fee and it could go, it could go very well. And if it doesn't go very well, then they probably really haven't lost very much in him because he's still, you know, he's still young. The Ramsdale one is obviously proving more contentious, um, partly because of what you said about re two relegations in a row. But there were signs of improvement from him towards the end of last season, I think, and that was kind of shown with his England call up towards the end. Um, but no, I mean, it's very interesting to hear. You know, you, you almost want your rivals to be not, not never winning trophies, but in a, in a good place because it makes that derby more fiery. It makes the competition better, really, doesn't it? But um, yeah, no, I think, I think Arsenal aren't where they need to be, but it's, def it's a definite show of ambition in the right direction. You know, spending north of 100 million, well north of 100 million, really. Um, it's the spending that they've been calling out for for a long time. But in terms of that that spend and who they've bought, they haven't. Fred, you can't turn around to me and say that they put that that squad in a better position. They've spent over a hundred million, and you're right. You know, it's what the fans have been crying out for—an investment in the team. But you can't tell me that they're a better side than they were this time last year. They're not. The players that they've spent it on are, yeah, it, it, it's bizarre. You can spend all this money, but you know, I can't really say the phrase that I want to say on the show. You can't polish a. I'm sure we've got a bleep somewhere that we can probably stick in there instead. But that's what I mean. They've not. They've not. I don't think they've strengthened this squad. They've spent 100 million, but I, I, I don't see where they've strengthened it. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I mean, time, time's going to tell. It's up to Ben White to settle quickly. Um, and you know, it's up to the likes of Lekonga to make that midfield role his own. And, it's, and then it's up to Arteta to see how he can fit in Smith Rowe and Odegaard. Because as you say, there's, uh, you know, uh, questionable signing 
or well, signing one number 10 and then tying one down to a new long-term deal, it doesn't quite make sense on the surface. So it's up to Arteta now to respond to the spending and, and make a success of it. Um, there are certainly, they on paper, you might not think the squad looks too much stronger, but at the same time, they probably, you know, that would be, that would be four new starting players at least. So, you know, only time's going to tell whether they, that they can really make the impact that can drag them back into the European places, really. I mean, if if Arsenal are a wounded animal, then Chelsea are a lion that's looking at its prey and waiting to tear it apart. Um, very impressive last weekend against Crystal Palace. Brought in Romelu Lukaku, who's expected to play uh, against Arsenal. This game has, from the outside looking in, I'm looking at this saying, this is surely a comfortable Chelsea win and there'll be booze at the Emirates come full time. Apparently, it's not even sold out the game, which is surprising for a London derby. Ned, <laughs> is this going to be potentially a, a massacre or are we all overblown the problems at Arsenal? Actually, the reality is, is when they get back to their home stadium, they'll give Chelsea a really good game and potentially um, surprise them and do what Spurs did against Man City last weekend. Because we all last weekend, I mean, me and you were sat talking during that game, Ned, and we were like, Spurs have got virtually no chance of winning that game. You're a Spurs fan and you sort of felt the same. And they did. They came out and they got the win. Could Arsenal do the same thing against Chelsea? Could they surprise everyone and beat a team that's everyone? The, the funny thing is, is that I think he's one of those managers, um, Mikel Arteta, that when he needs to get a result, he gets a result. Um, you know, almost like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in that first kind of 18-month spell with Man United. When the pressure was on, when the reports started to emerge, oh, he's going to be sacked this week, oh, he's going to be sacked this week, then... You know, he pulls it out of the bag. It, it, it was this fixture last year where, you know, around Christmas time, we were talking about whether or not um, Mikel Arteta's days were numbered uh, and Chelsea were riding high under Frank Lampard and, and Arsenal went and got a very good win that day, you know. And I think that was when Smith Rowe first came into the side and kind of really performed well. The youngsters really came to the fore. Bukayo Saka with a, a brilliant cross-come shot that ended up in the back of the net as well. Um, so Arsenal could go out and do that this weekend and they could prove us all wrong um, and, and show that they have spent that 100 million very well this summer. Um, but on on paper, you can't see it. You know, Romelu Lukaku would have seen how, you know, probably looked at clips from that Brentford game last week, looked at, at how Arsenal defended and he is just licking his lips. Like that probably sealed the transfer back to Chelsea alone, seeing that Arsenal were next up and that was his next game. And he was thinking, I'm going to have a, a field day here. And he would do. Um, if if Chelsea played to their, to their full capabilities... I can't see anything else other than a comfortable Chelsea win. Maybe not, you know, three, four nil, but two nil and not really being tested is what I can see. What um, I would I say about yeah. these um these these derbies, these clashes of team top six teams is just so often last season it seemed like, you know, one team comes into it full of confidence, full of form, and then another is in like in the uh, yeah, in, uh, down in the slump as uh, as Neb was saying about kind of Arsenal versus Chelsea last season. Mm-hmm. Then either an upset or you know, there were quite a few kind of boring nil all draws, cagey one all draws last season. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll set up, they also the double over them as well, thanks to, I think, Smith Rowe's goal in uh, towards the end of the season. And um could absolutely see, uh, yeah, as you say, Arteta pulling the result of the bag when he needed it. He, he did the same at Old Trafford last year as well, um, thanks to that Aubameyang goal. Um, so, Absolutely, the, the emphasis is going to be on Romelu Lukaku um, and his return going into this game. I think that could that could play into Arsenal's strengths definitely because uh, they are being they are being written off. But the Premier League has this has this knack of 
narratives really and uh and and tearing them up so um i think that could definitely play into arsenal kind of being the underdog and uh play into their hands and i think to finish off today man city against norwich we, we kind of mentioned uh spurs's win last weekend being a surprise for man city though this game's got you know some real importance because if they were to slip up and get a draw or were to somehow to get beat against Norwich people will start talking about a disaster you know and Spurs probably can put the price up for Harry Kane a little bit more because there'll be panic going through that Eddie had you would think there's no chance of Norwich winning that game Fred but for Man City is this a quite a nervous fixture uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be nervous if, if I was Man City no I mean I, if they've seen we're talking about Lukaku liking the way that Arsenal defended last Friday then I think uh, City's midfielders will be liking the way Liverpool were able to just kind of slice through Norwich on, at times um, I certainly think Kane or no Kane they could definitely hit quite a few goals um, past the Canaries um, I think there's obviously some there's obviously some uncertainty about them who's going to be playing centre forward this season, but there's just so much talent in the squad that uh, they you know they can roll back to form at any point, and this is probably the ideal fixture from their point of view. Um, whoever plays you know those those roles up front, you know the likes of Mares, Torres, Sterling. You know, there's just there's just so much talent that I don't think Norwich is going to be able to keep them at bay for long, and we could um, you know it could be a, a, cr- a cricket score really. Ned, would you agree? Or do you think there is any chance that Norwich could somehow <laughs> steal at least a draw? Um, well, you kind of look at it last week and you kind of wonder whether or not Nuno has given teams a blueprint of how to beat Man City this year, like Brendan Rodgers did last year. Um, you know, flood flood the middle of the pitch, force Man City wide, and where they haven't got that out-and-out striker at the minute, they're kind of crossing boxes, uh, balls into the box to no one. Um, but it is one thing for a team like Tottenham to be able to pull that off. And it is a completely different story altogether for a team who displayed a complete lack of defensive ability last week, like Norwich, to try and pull that off. Um, good luck to them, um, is what I can say, because, yeah, I, I I can't see it either way. But I mean, the thing for City is, is that, you know, I kind of put it on the running order that, that they might need a good win, some sort of like kind of big win. But to be fair, I don't think it matters when, when it's this early in the season. You know, I know Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool all put down statement wins last week, all put down big wins, but it's just getting that first win on the board. And if it's off the back of someone's bum and it goes into the goal and it's the only goal of the game, doesn't matter really when you come to look at history books and you just see that you've got that victory in the column. Final one, really, to mention uh, before we sign off for the day. Manchester United travelling down to Southampton. Man United, of course, hammered Leeds last weekend. Um, very impressive, I thought. I think probably the most impressive performance of the weekend. Um, Bruno Fernandes looking phenomenal. Paul Pogba finally looking like the player we've been expecting for the last four years. Fred, do you think there's a, a chance that Man United could you know, make it two impressive wins in a row? Southampton got beat last weekend against... Everton, but for all intents and purposes, has actually played quite well uh, for the first sort of hour of that game. Do you think there's a chance that though United could blow them away? Yeah, I think I think we could see quite a similar game actually, with uh, Southampton posing a bit of a bit of threat um, with Armstrong, who's looking like already like a good signing, um, but also uh, they're fairly shaky back line um, and United. I mean, obviously, Southampton got hit hit for nine by them last year, um, albeit away from home. But uh, yeah, I can't see them keeping keeping the likes of Fernandez and a fit and firing Pogba 
Sancho making his full debut. You can't see them keeping them at bay for very long. Um, you know, Solskjaer, there's a good mood around them, around Old Trafford at the moment. And um, they should be, yeah, they should be strong favourites going into this match. Okay, well, I think uh, we're just about out of time now. Um, thanks, Ned, for joining. Hopefully, um, Spurs pick up after a poor Thursday result. But they've made it two back-to-back Premier League wins. I'm sure you won't care about Thursday night's result. And Fred, I think you've got a chance for a good game at the weekend. Liverpool against Burnley. So thanks for joining us today. 